Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Andy Petronic, and um, today's guest goes by the name Tinier Tim. Um, he is, he is tinier. He's tinier than he was about five years ago when he tipped the scales at 450 pounds, 446 pounds. I think he said was his top weight. Um, he is now around 190 pounds and he has an incredible story, an incredible weight loss story, an incredible just life story, um, about how he literally, hit rock bottom and transformed his life. Um, how he used tennis balls as his, um, um, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let him tell the story about the tennis balls and why those became significant, a significant part of his life. But he, he's, um, he's amazingly open and honest and transparent about the, 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 both the issues of being fat and growing up being obese and overweight and dealing with the physical and mental and emotional torture that, that, you know, comes along with that growing up that way. Um, growing up with parents who were struggled with their weight, um, uh, going through a life with a partner, with his wife that saw him go through levels of apathy that eventually ended up breaking their, you know, ending their marriage. Um, you know, the, the, the irony is, is he's been a motivational speaker through this whole period. Um, that's not what he does primarily for a living, but he's got some really fun stories about how he got into the business of speaking and, um, and, and then, and then, you know, what his journey was like in his weight loss. And, you know, I, I think, it's inspiring to hear just what he wasn't capable of doing and then what he was capable of doing when he decided he was going to do something about it. And um, he has some really fun um, strategies that he used that I think are very useful, even if you don't have 200 pounds to lose, if you, even if you want to lose 50 pounds or 30 pounds. He's got some really great strategies for uh, those those situations. And even look, even if you're not trying to lose weight, his strategies are actually pretty cool. Um, and um, I was struck by just his level of authenticity. And um, I love being around people who are willing to be that transparent and that authentic, authentic in their willingness to share their life. Um, uh, Tim's journey has been uh, far from easy and it continues to be quite a challenge, but he's really an inspiration. And um, it was my honor to have him on the podcast. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of material in this podcast, a lot of emotional stuff in this podcast and, um, and a lot of strategies that I think you'll want to, um, you'll want to maybe even have a notebook by to um, write down as you, as you listen to this, because it's, um, it's full of, really, really good stuff. Uh, we'll always have show notes. So if you do not write something down, you can go to the blog post and, and look at the show, no show notes and look at the links of the things that we talked about. 
Um, and you know, if you like the show and you like this show or you like any of the shows you download load, it's really helpful to us, to me, if you go to iTunes and give it a, uh, give it a high rating, um, give it a five star rating. That would be fantastic. Um, it always helps us because we're trying to reach more people and we're trying to make a difference in people's lives and, uh, stories like Tim's story is so compelling and so worth, um, retelling and sharing with the rest of the world. So um, please go in there and, and give us a give us a high rating and uh, we'll really help the podcast and help me and help the world hear more about these amazing stories. So I'm not going to um, belabor this any longer. I'm going to put you right in with Tinier Tim and um, enjoy. Tinier Tim Bauer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. So glad to be here. I I so love your the way you've used Tiny Tim and Tinyer Tim um, <laughs> in your name. I get I get a kick. I get a big smile on my face and almost chuckle every time I say it. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. You know, when I was even when I was uh, you know after I lost the weight, I'm still a pretty tall guy. You know, I'm six four. Right. So oh, I didn't you know, know when I was yeah I was six four and. You know, at my heaviest, I weighed 450 pounds. So people would oh. ironically call me Tiny Tim. Right. And it was always this running joke. You know, hey, look, it's Tiny Tim. Right, you know, that right. was my name on the playground for as long as I can remember. And so when I started losing weight, I thought, you know, I can pretend like that stuff never happened or I can just go with the moniker and make it my own. And so I've owned this thing now. So yeah, I, I, I'm tinier Tim. That's my shtick. You, you've owned it. You've earned it. You've, um, <laughs> you've put in the blood, sweat and tears, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, more so than most of us do with our names, you know, like I, I don't, I, I couldn't claim that I've done anything quite as dramatic as you have to claim my name. Um, my parents, <laughs> my parents gave it to me and I, some stuck with it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I've learned to love mine. I've learned to love mine and take it on fully. So it's become a very comfortable jacket these days. So, well, your, your journey is quite an amazing one. I, I was introduced to you from my friend Traver, um, because of you guys, you guys were, um, TEDx speakers up in Santa Barbara together. Um, and, um, man, when I heard about your story and read about you online and, and the journey you've been on and the, than the education that you've been, or the way you've been willing to share your your experiences with the rest of the world, I was like, God, I gotta, I really want to meet you and get you on the podcast, and um, and uh, so here you are, here you are. Yeah, thank you, thank you, you. Know, and, and you know, yeah, ahead. it's been go an ahead. incredible, it's definitely been an incredible six years, and I know we're probably gonna jump into a lot of these things. So, uh, thank you so much again. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, you know. Um, let me just give a little background. I guess probably easiest thing because a lot of people on the show won't know much about you. But the reason I was so intrigued with your story is is you went through this life transformation starting about six years ago in your weight in your in your overall body and your weight. And I mean, there's so much that goes along with that. I don't want to minimize that it's not just weight that you lost. Um, yeah. But uh, but you know you you ended up losing what 250 pounds. Yeah. So as of since day one, I'm down 245 uh, pounds, actually 247 if we're getting really technical. And so I sp I've spent my entire life morbidly obese. I have struggled with my weight for as long as I can remember. Uh, my mom loves telling everyone the story how my very first word as a baby was literally Dorito. 
Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, on one hand, like that is, that's a bad sign. But on the other yeah. hand, like that's three <laughs> syllables for my first word. I was kind of proud on some level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, that's a tough first word. My, my son's yeah. first word was agua. Um, he doesn't speak That's a lick awesome. of Spanish now, but, but his first word was agua, agua. Agua. And he's got, he's got no, he's got no also in Spanish covered. So. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I spent my entire life. I was, I was the chubby kid in school. Um, I was always at my heaviest and I learned very early on that the best way for me to handle my weight was through humor. And so I became the class clown oh. and I always felt like. I was, you know, the Chris Farley. I was, I was funny by virtue of my obesity, right. you know, as a result of, and, and I made my obesity a running joke in my life. And so like the tinier Tim moniker, I just kind of put it on and, and ran with it for years. But inside, you know, I was, I was eating all of my feelings, everything that a normal kid might've gone to a friend about, I would have gone to, to Ben and Jerry, uh, right. about, I would have, I would have just, just chowed down. And so, um, gradually over time, my life just spiraled worse and worse to the point where I was 31 years old. My marriage was in complete shambles. My wife had left me repeatedly. I had a size 58 inch waist. I was wearing size five X shirts and yeah, I weighed 440 pounds and it was absolute, it was absolute rock bottom. In fact, I, I know the exact moment I hit rock bottom and I, I'd love to share that. If, if I'd uh, love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. I have so many questions. I'm, I'm uh, feeling <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear about that moment. Yeah. So I, I was preparing a lesson for a class, a lecture that I was giving. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a lecturer by trade, but I do some some speaking and they had this university had hired me to come in and address some incoming freshmen about addiction problems that they might experience in their first year mm -hmm. and, you know, things to avoid. And were I you found an expert I, in addiction. I mean, prior to like, what was your, why would I, I they hire you to do that? I was a motivational speaker. Oh God. So it, I knew the guy that I, they actually got someone else that wanted to do it and, or they wanted him to do it. And he suggested me because he knew that I had a good like motivational spin mm -hmm. on the class. And so he hired me to come in there and like inspire them to avoid things. And so I had this great idea for, um, the five addictions to avoid. I thought I'm going to take five tennis balls. I'm going to do this object lesson and I'm going to write on these tennis balls, the names of these addictions. I'll, I'll throw all five of them at a volunteer, you know, volunteer in air quotes and yep. I'll get them up here. I'll throw all five. You can't catch them. But if I throw them one at a time, I'm going to teach him that he can handle any addiction or any challenge that gets thrown at him incrementally. Yep. And I really love the idea and I'm all excited. And then I look at the list of behaviors that I'm supposed to encourage them to avoid. And I was taken aback. And this list was, you know, it was dishonesty and plagiarism, you know, something they struggle with. It was, you know, sexual promiscuity. It was drug use. It was alcohol abuse. Um, and then that, there was a dishonesty plagiarism uh, thing in there as well. But the, the fifth one was unhealthy eating habits. You know, the freshman 15, yep. they're supposed to yep. avoid. And, and the idea of teaching these kids to avoid the practice of unhealthy eating habits when I'm standing in front of the room at 440 pounds, well, I, I felt like I felt like I'd been hit in the stomach, but I really didn't think of myself as out of control. I, I, I thought I was a little heavy on the heavy side, but I didn't think I was morbidly obese until this moment. And that just hit me. And I end up 
when I get to the class, I've got these tennis balls. I left the unhealthy eating tennis ball in the car and I realized like I'm running away from a tennis ball. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm so ashamed of where I am in life that I can't even stand in public with my, I can talk about drug use and alcohol abuse. These are things that I'd always been perceived to be far more grievous, but you know, unhealthy eating was right there with them for the, in this, in the person that had made this list mine. And I'm thinking I have an addiction. I've hit absolute pathetic rock bottom and, and I'd failed. I, I, I felt like a failure in that moment. And it was, it was the worst and best day of my life. How did the talk go? <laughs> so the talk went okay. I mean, it wasn't bad. I, I got up there and I, I fake it till you make it, you know, you, you kind of act up there a little bit. And so the did you talk avoid was the fine. fifth, the fifth, uh, tennis oh, ball? Oh yeah. Oh, you, you, I left you the tennis ball in the car. And you didn't, yeah, you didn't, didn't talk about it. In. You talked about the four. I didn't bring it in. I didn't talk about it. I didn't want to talk oh. about unhealthy eating habits. I just pretended like that fifth one didn't exist. Wow. I didn't want to address it. Yeah. It was it was too humiliating for me. It was too much. And right. um, on my way back, I thought to myself, okay, this is this is my moment, Andy. And whole life people will really appreciate this. So I I thought, you know what? Instead of just starting with a few core habits – like I'm, I'm a tough guy, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm a high power, you know, I'm a speaker. I can do anything. I'm so inspired. I'm going to make it happen. And so I decided I was going to be perfect from now on. And that lifelong commitment to health, it was like, it burned in me for about a day. Like I, I literally 24 hours later, I find myself at a drive through and I'm ordering a, I have a two pound chicken burrito uh, two tacos and an order of fries that is so big. They literally put it in a large soda cup. Wow. You know, a 32 ounce soda cup. And yep. I, yep. I think I was maybe two minutes outside that restaurant when I'd already inhaled all of it and I'd failed. I, I'd failed again. You know, not, I'm not even 24 hours in. I can't even stick to a diet after having this pivotal moment I thought was going to change my life. It lasted all of 24 hours. And that night was even worse than the night before. You know, I thought I'd right. had the worst moment of my life, but I couldn't even stick to it for more than a day. Um, Tim, can I, can I, can I ask you a question and I don't want to disrupt the flow, but, but I have some questions that are even before this moment. What, what was growing up like? I mean, what was, what was it like to be the biggest kid all the time? Like, how did you handle, I mean, obviously you handled a lot by eating, Yeah. but you know, I, I, I remember kids in my class, not that were overweight, but that were ostracized or left out or that I made fun of for various things. Yeah, I, definitely. I, no, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't really remember ever reconciling with them or speaking with them about what it, what it felt like. What was, what was that like for you? Yeah. So for me, one of the, the quickest ways I found to, de- to try to deflect it was the self-deprecating humor. And I was able to dodge a lot of that. But when it became really hard was, you know, I remember I was 12 or 13 years old the first time I, I fell in love with a girl, right? I was head over heels in love with her. And this is the only person I could ever imagine ever wanting to be with. And, you know, I finally work up the courage one day to express my undying devotion to her mm-hmm. only to find out that she was in love with my best friend, you know, who had abs and was right. highly athletic. And, you know, you realize that at that moment, there's something different and and on some level you feel like there's something wrong with you right there is something dramatically wrong and so in the back of my mind i always i and still to this day am am harboring some of these feelings of inadequacy and and being less than other people 
because you're constantly picked at fun at, you know, I remember, uh, on a field trip in fifth grade, I was in the back of the bus sitting there with a bunch of friends. And before I knew it, the entire bus had turned around and they were watching me jiggle, you know, because the buses bounce a lot on the LA freeways and I'm just jiggling and everyone's pointing and laughing at, you know, the jiggling guy in the back of the bus. And, and to this day, I'm terrified. Like I get on a bus and I break into a cold sweat. I'm thinking about bouncing again. You know, I, I'm thinking about that to this day. And, and, you know, it is, it is a near constant, um, struggle. I call it, I call it that I'm still fat in the head in a lot of the ways. Like <laughs> you'll see even today in pictures, I'll, I'll cross my, cross my arms in front of my body as if I can somehow mask my obesity. That's what I used to do when I was at my yeah. heaviest. Um, and, and there were just so many moments like that sitting in desks and having to, you know, I would always get to class 20 minutes early so I could pick out my desk so I can make sure to find a place where I could fit. Um, oh. and I still have that petrified fear. I show up, I show up way early to everything I do because I'm constantly thinking about, I have to find a chair that I'm going to be able to fit into. Wow. Yeah. So it's, um, I, how, I would how say about, that, how uh, about flying and flying in planes? I imagine oh. was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. So flying in planes, I, 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 if you're on a flight that does not have assigned seating, I'm always sitting in the back. And I'll always pick a corner seat because I figure I'm giving the person enough time to see me and choose a different chair because they don't want to sit next to me. Oh my God. Um, and I, I, I was always terrified that I was going to be the one next to someone. And if I was, I apologized as soon as they sat down. I felt terrible. And there was one time in my life where I'm flying back from a business trip. I think I was 20 years old at the time, flying back from Las Vegas, and this beautiful woman walks up the aisle and she sits in the aisle, the same, same aisle as me, but there were three chairs there. So there's a seat in between us Mm -hmm. of which I was taking up half of at least. And so she's, she starts chatting me up and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. You know, a beautiful woman on an airplane and like, we're going to talk for the next hour and a half. And so we just continue to chat for an hour at which point she finally opens her mouth and tells me, Hey, by the way, have, has anyone ever told you about about a vitamin supplement, like she was a multi-level marketing vitamin weight loss supplement salesperson. Right. And the only reason she sat next to me, the, finally someone wants to sit next to me on the plane, and the only reason she did was to try to sell me a product wow. for my weight loss. Wow. So, yeah, it was, yeah, there's a lot of things like that that take place that start to condition you after some time. And, you know, I, I definitely found myself in adulthood struggling with a lot of dark thoughts uh, about myself and my future. And I think on some levels, you know, I was, I was literally eating myself to death, you know, intentionally and mindfully. I, I didn't, I did not see a long future for myself. Was this, um, I mean, was this a, something you learned from your family? Were your mom and dad obese? Were your, uh, like, how did this come about? <laughs> So I, I, every male in my family ha, that I know of that's like over 50 or 60 has died of lifestyle-related illness. Uh, obesity is chronic in my family, and I was raised in the food service business. So both of my parents were in restaurant, hotel management, food service catering throughout the years. And so we would regularly uh, visit their restaurants, you know, maybe two to three days a week sometimes. And that's where we would end up eating. We would eat at their restaurants and we could order whatever we wanted. And, and when you're a kid and you have an open menu, you know, you're not saying I'll, I'll have the, 
the chopped kale salad, please. You know, you're you're ordering chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese type of thing. And so we had a lot of processed foods and my parents worked late and I was a latchkey kid as well a lot of the time. So that meant microwave meals a great deal or, or fast food or worse. So I definitely, I had a lot of lifestyle stuff contributing as well. Were there brothers and sisters? Did you have, um, yeah. how many of you were there? So I had a little brother, or I still have a little brother. And so he grew up a little bit heavier, but he started playing sports and he graduated pretty slim. Although afterwards, uh, he did gain a few pounds, which he just lost. I'm, I'm really proud. He just lost, I want to say 40 or 50 pounds recently. Wow. He looks great. So, but yeah, we, he struggled with it as well. We both did. How, um, what's the relationship like with your parents? Like how, um, how do they, I mean, are your parents both still alive or, um, like, yeah, what's, what's, yeah. I don't know. I don't even so, know what question it is. <laughs> like, so talk about lost, that. Yeah. So, um, I would say that the relationship with my parents is really, is really positive or was my, my dad has passed away a few years ago from, you know, from a stroke and the stroke was related to heavy drinking. He was always morbidly obese and, right. and also smoked his entire life. And so, my parents loved me and, and, and so I don't want, I don't want to give the impression that they were like terrible parents feeding me a bunch of garbage. You know, they were doing their best. They, they, they had us in a wealthier neighborhood, um, you know, that was probably too expensive for how much money we made as a family, but they wanted to give us an opportunity and put us in the best schools. And so they, they both had to work so hard. And so, they, they fed me those things and, and treated me as best they could or as best they knew how. And, and they were amazing parents to me, so supportive. And one of the things, you know, it, they were so supportive that I never, when I was around them, felt obese. They never made me feel bad for what I had become and how far I had descended um, into binge eating. And I, I was always a closet eater and I felt I felt like – they didn't know that I was a closet eater, but years later, I, you know, in, in reflecting and having the opportunity to converse with my mom, she definitely noticed the fact that, you know, she'd wake up in the morning and half the gallon of ice cream would be gone. And, and, you know, the leftovers from the night before had mysteriously shrunk. And, you know, I, I, I really, um, I, I kept it to myself and kept it quiet, but I always felt like they supported uh, and loved me uh, every step of the way. And even throughout my weight loss journey, my mom's been like my biggest fan. She posts like every time I lost like five more pounds, she was posting <laughs> about it, so, <laughs> which is a lot of posts. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And uh, I mean, that's amazing that you're, that you have that sort of relationship with your parents and they, they all, it sounds like they made it all, all okay. You know, like in, yeah. in you being, morbidly obese and in you being not morbidly obese, you know, like yes. what an amazing, uh, gift. Absolutely. I, I definitely feel like people, people treat me differently when I was heavy versus now, but my parents were never that way. Right. They always were exactly the same to me. And I never felt like being, they did, you know, a couple times throughout the years would express concern with my health, but it was never in a judgmental way. I always felt like they were doing it because they loved me. And I always felt very secure in that with them. So you, you, you went through the undergraduate, you know, through high school and then did you go to college? So I started off at a community college, but when I, when I was of college age, my parents were in a weird place. They had just gotten divorced. And so I, I had to pay my way through school, 
which I was plenty motivated to do, but I started to experience some professional success. And if you want to get a kid to drop out of school, start, start giving him bigger paychecks and he forgets that he's supposed to go finish that. And did you, and did so, you go jump into speaking when you were in your, a teenager? Is that, was that yes, your, so really? I was, I was, when I started it, I was 20, 19, 20 years old. And what happened is, um, I was working in a call center in a telemarketing room, uh -huh. which, you know, it's great if, for those of you that are listening, like I have, I have a voice and a face for radio, right? So, you know, I belong, I belong to be invisible, especially when I was at my heaviest, you know, I loved being behind the phone. People <laughs> love my voice. Tim, I got a question for you. Has anybody, has, <laughs> yeah. every, has anybody ever told you you sound like Dwight from the office? I love that. I would know. <laughs> I will take that all day long. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking while you're, while you've been talking, like, <laughs> who is that voice? And it just, it just hit me like a bag of, you know, like, like, in the, like a brick in the face. And yeah, I'm like, it's like Dwight. A... It's Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love that guy. Yeah. Bears, me too. beats, battle. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely, uh, I, I look a little bit like him too, I guess you could say to a certain extent. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was, I loved being behind the phone. So I worked at a call center and so people would come into that room and they hated life. You know, imagine having to make 400 calls and hearing yourself called name, every name in the book, every single day. You were like doing sa like. sales, telemarketing, outbound, you know, exactly. cold calling. Oh, I was the guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the emotion I tend to invoke. I hang up I on, I hang up on more of yous than, uh, I care <laughs> to think about. Like, I'm like, stop calling yeah. me, take me off the list. Click. But that's how I paid for school, to right, be fair. So right. I became a manager there and I started to progress. And they said, hey, every morning when these people drag in the door, you know, completely miserable that they have this job, I want you to encourage them and give them a motivational speech for 15 to 20 minutes every day. So I had to build a crap ton of material really fast. 15 to 20 minutes? Yeah. That's every a day lot. I wanted to inspire them. 15, and exactly. Like I had to give basically business sermons. I was a business preacher for all, <laughs> all intents and purposes. Wow. And I would stand up there and I'd pass a plate around after and ever. No, not really. But I, right, right. I would make sure they knew like, Hey, we're here to inspire you and motivate you. And I had to, so I, I dug into books. I started reading like Augmentino and, and like, you know, people that had written some short form motivation, you know, Augmentino wrote the greatest, sale, greatest salesman in the yes. world, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yep. filled with scrolls. And I actually, you know, I started and, you know, hopefully his people don't come after me, but I definitely like, <laughs> I stole, definitely stole memorized a lot of his material yeah, for yeah, yeah. sales meetings. I had to give a 15 minute talk every day. And so, you know, it really forced me to stretch myself and it gave me a lot of practice. I started, I downloaded a bunch of talks from, uh, you know, famous, famous, uh, leaders like Martin Luther King. I downloaded, this is back in the Napster days. So you can find any MP3 oh, yeah. out there, Yep. you know, and I'm finding all of these great MP3s and I would just mimic their talking and it was great. So yeah, that's, that's kind of when I got my, my talk in speaking or uh, my start in speaking. <laughs> wow. And so I'm yeah. amazed you were willing to take that on. Like there'd be a lot of people who would, uh, you know, shirk from that, even, even though their boss told them that they had to do it. Like they, you know, they would, they would gradually slip from 20 minutes to 10 minutes to five minutes to two minutes to, okay, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. My, my boss was, uh, he was a South African and, and I've learned a couple of things. And one is don't say no to South Africans. <laughs> like he will, this guy, he was, he was a very angry, you know, Dutch South African crazy right. guy. He was a amazing leader, but you don't say no to that guy. His right. name was Mr. B. He sounds like a comic book villain, even when I say it, but yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. He was a great mentor. And I would have not, I would never have gotten to where I got if it wasn't for that opportunity at the time. I definitely did not want to do it. I yeah. accepted the role reluctantly, <clears throat> but what a blessing that I did. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. 
So you started then to accept, did people just find you? How did you, I mean, like, I, that's just so bizarre to start a speaking career at 20. Um, yes. Did, did you go out and actively seek it out after you had this experience or, or what happened next? Yeah, absolutely. So after I had that experience, I started getting offers from like people that had seen me through church speaking as well. And so, you know, I, I, at the time belonged to a church that let me speak pretty, pretty often, you know, they were always looking for speakers. And so anytime they needed someone, they would call me up and I would substitute. So I was also speaking, you know, maybe 15 to 20 times a year, um, through that. And that would be in front of 500 or a thousand people sometimes. And I would end up getting invitations from people in the congregation that would start to know, um, my ability and desire to be a public speaker. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of worked itself into other professional, uh, circles. I found a way to use that, um, throughout even today. So I use my my public speaking to market my business. You know, we offer, we offer free presentations and free, free, um, lectures to people that refer us work. And I'm basically using my talent to bring business in. And it's just, I, I find ways to, to work my speaking into anything I can do. Wow. That's cool. Including weight loss now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, so as you, found your way in this profession take me through the next was like 10 years right from then until when you when this moment occurred yeah so from from that moment i worked for that business until i was almost 26 i want to say so most of it was there I, i worked there a long time long long time and i ended up making my way into the disaster restoration business which most people won't know that this even exists but what it is, I work for a contractor that would rebuild your home after fire or flood damage. Okay. At any insurable damage, which is, you know, was a big industry. And I got into it right after a series of wildfires that took place in Southern California. And the company was hiring on a bunch of people to deal with all the work that had just come in. And so um, I found this industry and I just, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I've pretty much been here the entire time since. Wow. Um, which when, you know, when this finally happened, my role was even worse than a telemarketer. If you want to hear a business that will make your skin crawl. Um, <laughs> I worked for a contractor. <laughs> this, this guy, we would actually subscribe to a service that would notify us when a fire was taking place somewhere in Southern California. And I would drive out to those locations with the fire department still on site, still on site. And I would wait for the fire department to clear the scene. And then I would talk to the homeowner about how I could help them through that process. Oh my God. Oh, I got something worse for you. I wouldn't be alone. There would be anywhere from 40 to 50 other people waiting. What? At, oh, yeah. This is a big business. It's not. You're like yeah, one of those was, lawyers that, that follows was, cars to yeah. the, to the, or f- follows tow trucks and ambulances to the scene of an accident. But even worse. And so I only Whoa. did that for a few years. I was on that side of it for a few years. I, I'm, I'm on the other like nicer, cleaner side now right. that doesn't rely on those types of things to get business. But. I did that for several years and I was in that position um, when I was at my heaviest. And one of the reasons for that is you you run so hard because you've got to be at the house first yep. to be able to talk first. There's like a gentleman's order of, of how you go up there. And mm-hmm. so I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning and staying out until 10 o'clock at night. And so it was all fast food all the time. Right. And I was on the road so much that, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was eating nothing but garbage. I, I 
did not make time for exercise at all. If I had five minutes at home, I would jump on the computer. I was addicted to video games as well and just, you know, just veg out. And did, it was just a were you, in a relation, were you in a relationship at the time? Were you, do you, did you have a family of your own at this point or were you still single? Yeah. And- no, so I was married. And so, um, my, my wife had left me repeatedly at this point, like leading up to this, the, my, my, my peak, my valley rather. Um, she had left on numerous occasions. And so, um, when I finally hit rock bottom, it was a time when she was there. What had caused her to leave all these times? Was it your eating? Was it your, was it other destructive behavior? Was it just, you guys weren't compatible or what? Yeah. I mean, it's a darn thin dime that doesn't have two sides. And I (laughs) I think that, you know, if, if, if whether she was here or not, I would tell you that I, I was, I, I had given up. Right. I mean, I had just quit on life. I'd quit on our marriage. I'd quit on, you know, just about everything. And I was absolutely at rock bottom. And I think that I I think that that had a lot to do with it. We were we were arguing, but the kind of arguments that spawn from real unbreakable apathy, you know, the kind of arguments that are are born from an understanding that the person you're with does not care about anything. And it had basically just given up and that's where I was. And I think that she could see that. And, you know, we were, yeah, our, our marriage, our marriage did not survive the weight loss, unfortunately. Um, wow. yeah, yeah. It didn't, it was too little, too late. The yeah. cancer had already spread too far. That's, you know, it's interesting. So. My, um, my dad struggled with alcoholism for uh, a long, long time as I was growing up, way more than I had any consciousness of. And uh, he finally uh, cleaned up his act. He went to, he he had gone through many rehab facilities, but he went away to this place in Minnesota called Hazleton, um, Hazleton, Hazleton. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, he was gone for two months, two or three months. And during that time, my mom decided enough was enough. She was she was done. And so just at the moment when that, and that was the last time he ever had a drink, he, he cleaned up his act. And for the last like 25 years of his life, he was sober, but, um, but the, the, the marriage didn't survive. It was too kind of like what you said, too little, too late. Um, yeah, she moved on. She, she moved, she and us moved on. We were with her and, uh, didn't, didn't really, I didn't really understand the, you know, ramifications and the impact of that. But, but that was, um, how it went for me. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think one of the reasons why addictions become so destructive is they're literally the most important relationship in our life. They define our thought patterns. They define our actions. You know, we're constantly seeking out a way to get back to them. And, and so many addictions, uh, you know, whether we're talking about alcoholism or obesity are about so much more than the thing and the feeling that it gives you. It's, it's, it's about this sense of inadequacy that's inside of us that we all struggle with. We all have this insecure insecurity on some level. Are we good enough? You know, are we worthy of, of really being loved? And, and if you asked anybody on the street that they would say yes, because you know, you're a stranger and you're asking them a weird question, but (laughs) deep down, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe a couple of drinks in or, 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 uh, a lot of comfort into a relationship, we can finally admit to ourselves that, you know, I'm, I'm doing these things because 
I, I feel like I'm not enough and I need to do something to become more. It's and, kind of the and human, food and kind of the human element, it. right? I mean, it's not yeah. just in addicts, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, no. I certainly would call, I would certainly fit into the addict mentality, although I don't, I've never had a horribly negative addiction, but you know, some might say I'm exercise addicted or, um, you know, difficult task addicted, um, <laughs> and business addicted, you know, like there, there are definitely addictions that, that kind of, um, circle through my life. Um, for sure. And you know, I've wrestled with those same questions, you know, inadequacy and am I lovable, um, unworthiness, you know, when it comes down to the kind of the root of the whole thing, it seems to me that that's kind of a human, just human. I don't yeah, know if that's true or sure. not. I don't know if it's true or not, but it certainly comes across to me that way. Well, I think that like the things you mentioned obviously are, are, are mostly good things, right? I mean, exercise addiction can be a negative thing. And I, I think that we can think of a, a logical extreme where that becomes too much. Um, you know, it, I think that to distinct, to distinguish between addictions and passions, uh, or, or things that we're excited about is the idea that addiction is, is a passion that becomes so severe to me that you will knowingly do something destructive to something more important in the name of pursuing or attaining that thing. And for me, like you could have told me, you know, six months before, if, you know, if you stop eating, you could save your marriage. I think that I probably would have still gone to the freezer because that's how profound and how powerful that addiction had become in my life. I couldn't see anything else. It was, it was, you know, like the, the magic mantra on your, your side view mirror that objects may appear larger, you know, or maybe larger than they really appear. Right. And so are closer than they really appear. For me, that was food. Like it was always, I couldn't see anything else. All I could see was the food. Um, and, and no matter what happened, I was going to get to it. Right. And so, yes. And yeah, definitely a challenging addiction. Yeah. So, um, you, so, okay. So you, you're speaking, you're, you're using this, um, you know, this ability that you have to, you know, I see kind of an amazing strength that you've got is your ability to, to do whatever it takes. I mean, both your, both Mr. B and this new, this job that you took, um, at going to scenes of horrific, you know, tragedy and (laughs) and talking to people. I mean, again, another blessing that you like, think of the life skill that you gained by being able to speak to people in those moments, you know, gosh, I can't, Imagine, I can't imagine being willing to take that job. <laughs> well, you know, at the time, I, I definitely, I mean, I was telemarketing. So it was kind yeah. of like only, like, if I'm in Dante's Inferno, I'm only going down one ring. Like, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm pretty right. close. It's already um, hot in the oven. You're just yeah, one. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just turning on the broiler at this point. Wow. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think that... Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a crazy thing. But one of my one of my talents has always been the willingness and desire to like reverse engineer things and just figure out how to make stuff work. You know, yeah. um, I, I I think I was arguably the first generation that really could have like 
a personal computer in the home pretty inexpensively and have some internet. Like this was when I was 14, I think we were on like a 14, four modem. And by the time I graduated, I think we were at the 57, six, like we were yep. starting to yep. scream speeds back then. <clears throat> yeah. And for the kids that aren't aware, we used to have to like dial a phone out and it would make fax machine noises to get you on the internet. A- AOL, um, you've got you've got mail. Yeah, you've got you've got mail. mail. You were excited back then to get email. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, I've got email. This is totally, so cool. Totally, I, we had yeah. a Commodore 64 when I was growing up. I'm dating myself. Nice, but uh, legit. Those were back in the old days. Yeah, we had Mac twos and Tandys and oh yep. yeah, good yep. stuff. So. Um, but yeah, the, the internet made me ha- like I had to figure stuff out, like how to make things work on the computer. And yeah. like, so I think that having to struggle through those is like inspired me that when somebody gives me something, it's not a matter of can I do this? It's like, okay, how do I figure out how I can make this occur? Right. And, and I think that played itself out in my weight loss as well in a major way. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, you got this, you were working in this industry, but then you were also doing speaking on the side, I guess. That's how this, this speaking yep. gig came about at the college. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I was continuing to work those gigs and get those jobs on a, you know, limited basis as often as I could. Right. Right. So, okay. So you're 24 hours into your, your new found, um, your, your, you've hit rock bottom, you've gone 24 hours and you're right back where you started. Yeah. Heading down to huge meal. What, what happened next? How did, how so, did that change or shift? Yeah. So that night I I get home and I I brush my teeth, you know, I'm hiding it like I'm an alcoholic that's just had a drink, right? I'm like ashamed of myself. And I go to bed and, you know, the refried beans and failure were just like banging against themselves in my stomach like rocks. And I just, I didn't sleep well at all. And I finally wake up that morning to go chase the fires. You know, I've got to get up at three in the morning (laughs) and there were, there were, there were no fires. There were no fires to chase, which is a good day, right? You know, for the homeowners, <laughs> right? No fires. Right. Not good for you, but good for the homeowners. Not good for me, but good for the homeowners. And so <laughs> talking about, a, what, talking about a yeah. win lose proposition, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did, you know, I, I tried to sleep, but I just could not sleep yeah. and I get on my phone and I, 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 I'm jumping on Reddit, you know, and I'm like looking at Reddit and I stand up and out of the corner of my eye, I see this neon green beacon of hope uh, out of the corner of my eye. And, and what it is is I had had to buy two packages of tennis balls for my lesson, right? Because they only sell them in packages of three. Yep. And I'd used five of them. The previous one, the unhealthy eating one, I ended up throwing out the window at the Mexican food restaurant. I was so embarrassed. I threw wow. the ball out. And so – and I actually went back to get it. I went back to try to find it a few days later. It was gone, unfortunately. I I, I, if somebody has that tennis ball, <laughs> I've got a story for you. Anyway, but I'm back in my room the next morning, and in that room, there was that last one, the blank one, the one I, I left behind. Uh-huh. And I, it's kind of like this epiphany moment, and, and I'm there on Reddit, and I'm holding this tennis ball, and I see this story of a Redditor that had lost about as much weight as I needed to lose, and he was wearing you know, one of those Under Armour shirts. Yep. And he's got biceps now and he's got, he's got like man boobs, but the good ones, you know, and, and like he looks great. And I think to myself that, that could be me and I'm holding this ball and I'm thinking I've got another chance. And so I went out for a walk, Andy, I said, okay, I'm going to do this one thing at a time. I'm not going to try to be perfect this time. I'm going to bite off. I'm going to, I'm going to catch one tennis ball at a time. Just like I taught yesterday. Like I can, or the day before I can do this exact same thing. And so I go out for a walk I said, I'm just going to take a walk. And 
I get exhausted and I turn back around. I got exhausted 106 steps out. I went back and, and retraced this recently wow. to see how far I got. It was 106 steps out, 106 steps back, 212. And I didn't die. Spoiler alert. Um, and so like I thought, I thought to myself, well, I didn't die today. I could probably do it again and I won't die then either. When, like, you, I'm gonna say, keep when just you say you got exhausted, dying. like I don't, um, you know, never having been in that kind of shape before, I, I don't yeah. know what that's. I, I don't even I don't even know how to picture what that's like. What when when you're that ex, what does that mean? I mean you you were out yeah. of breath, you were um I can't even imagine that. So for me, one of the first well, the first symptom that exhibits itself when I would try to exercise in that state would be the heavy the the increasingly heavier cracks in my knees. Crack, uh -huh. crack, crack, crack. And then I start to feel lower back pain, extreme lower back pain. If I'm standing for more than 10 or 15 minutes, I start to have such pain, pains in my lower back that I can't stand up straight anymore. I have to hunch over like a 90 year old man. Uh -huh. Like it's, and then after that, you start getting out of breath. And then for me, it's, it's profuse sweating. It's breathlessness, it's panting, it's asthma attack-like feelings. Wow. And every time when you're in this state as a morbidly obese person, for me at least, any time I feel any pain anywhere near the chest area, I immediately think, okay, this is it. I'm having a heart attack. This is my moment. And so I had heartburn for years and I was scared to go to the doctor to get my acid reflux in check because I thought he would tell me I was having a heart attack and I just didn't want to hear it. And so I avoided him, avoided my doctor for that as well. So yeah, every, those are the types of symptoms you're incurring every day when you're that heavy. Wow. Okay. So I get, I get back, I, I get back in the house and I decide, okay, now I'm not going to try to do everything at once. I'm going to do one thing at a time. And so I, I set for myself each week, I would set a new cascading goal for the next three weeks, I was going to try this and catch three tennis balls. And so I went and bought a package, you know, because they came in three. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to write one new habit on each one of these tennis balls for the next three weeks. So I got, I got the first week was a no sugar ball. And I carried that stupid tennis ball with me everywhere. No sugar. I'm not going to eat any sugar. I'd look at the, I, I did everything. I, and I knew this because I, I had this friend that once claimed he was allergic to sugar. And I, I think it's BS, but... <laughs> Yep, yep. Um, he would say that if you ever had him over for dinner, you had to make sure that nothing had sugar. And I still think he's full of crap. I don't know how, I don't think anyone can be allergic to sugar, but it seemed like an easy thing to give up because I did it for him. Anytime I had to cook for him, I knew I had to like check the ingredients. I could do this. So no sugar. So I started with that. The second thing was no white flour. So for me, I was a big pasta guy. I mean, like those five pound bags of pasta, like, do you know how many servings those things are supposed to be? Um, I know it's not one and that's what it one. was. No, it's not one. It's not yep. one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one. And so like I loved pasta and I ate a lot of it. So my second week was no white flour. Well, how did that, wait, let's this. go, let's go back to the first week. Uh, sure. no sugar is now, are you a sugar? Were you a sugar fiend? Were you like, I was did that include sodas? Did that include sodas? And, and it includes sodas. Yes. Yeah, definitely included sodas. And that was one of the harder things for me. But luckily, I did like diet soda. In fact, growing up as a kid, I always drank diet soda. Everybody made fun of me because they're like, you're, right. 
you're the fattest kid in the room and you're drinking. But I liked the taste of diet soda. Gotcha. Like I, I prefer the taste of diet Pepsi and diet Coke to Coke and Pepsi. Yeah. And still to this day, that, that would be the case. Um, and so um, back then I was drinking a lot of Mountain Dew though. So giving up Mountain Dew was tough. That yep. was a hard one because that's – you got the caffeine and the sugar. And so I, I yeah, I, I had a hard time with that. Did I you switched tell to any, diet. Did you tell anybody you were doing this? Not at first. I was terrified. So I was probably two weeks in before I finally admitted to anyone what I was trying to do. And it was a friend of mine, Brett. And he was like this nutrition major, one of these guys that does not have body fat. Yep, He's like, yep. you know, like the anatomy textbooks where you see the guys with just muscle over the top of their bones. Like, that's him. That's basically. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's we, really I had, alarming. I had an anatomy professor um, who was um, – <laughs> he would actually <laughs> use his own body as – when we were doing the muscles and the and the tendons and whatnot, he would use his own yeah. body and he'd be like, oh, yeah, here's Amazing. the uh, vastus lateralis and he would yeah. he would pump – he would do a pose and boom, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean he did it very slapsticky and very funny. But, um, yeah. you know, he never – it was never, you know, braggadocious and, and – um, Right. Um, you know, ego, but it was, it was just very, very funny how he did it. Yeah. But, and yeah, every girl in the class type. took a lot of notes. Of course they yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, to be that guy. Yeah. yeah okay. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he actually sat me down and he started writing down a bunch of meal ideas for me, um, and gave me a bunch of tips and now when you, me when to you told him what you were trying to do, were you, uh, did you know what you were trying to do? Like what was your, did you tell, did you have a goal or was it just, I'm going to survive the week with no sugar and that's all I want to think about? Yeah. My, my goal at that point was just to get healthy. Like I, I didn't have a number in mind. I didn't really have an end in mind. Um, it was just a uh, look that I, I feel like a failure. I'm, I'm lying to myself and I'm a giant hypocrite and I'm tired of living like this. Like to me, this was, this was a symptom of a huge disease that, of apathy that had taken place in my life. Yeah. And this was something that I was going to rid myself of in, in every regard. And so, um, it was definitely intrinsic in nature. My, my goals and my motivation were all, it was all about becoming the best version of myself and not, not about a bathing suit or a girl, yeah. uh, or even, even like my kids. Like I, when I had my first daughter, I, I tried to lose weight for her, right? Like this was not my first time losing weight. And I should probably mention that, that I had tried everything from South beach to North pole, you know, like I had given everything a, a turn or two. And at that point, you know, I knew more about dieting and a lot of people don't know that about morbidly obese people. Like if you ever want to know about a diet program, like you're thinking about losing five pounds, ask the, the heaviest person, you know, because they've tried everything. Huh everything in the world, you know? Um, so they know, you know, what worked for them and, and what and didn't. I didn't, we didn't talk about kids, but you had had kids at this point. You were, you yeah. had, how many kids do you have? So my wife and I had two daughters and so, okay. um, they were there at, when I was at my heaviest, they were five and two. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I find it, I find uh, it ironic, um, that you were a motivational speaker and <laughs> quoting Augmandino and yet were as apathetic in your personal life as you were. Is that, is that, I mean, have you thought about that before? I'm sure you have. Absolutely. And, and so for me, getting on stage and speaking was, was a role. You know, you'll yeah. remember when I yeah. first learned how to speak, I, I was basically mimicking Ogmandino and I was mimicking, I was playing Martin Luther King right. on stage. You know, like that's, that's essentially what I was doing. And it yeah. was all an act. And so, um, 
I think that my speaking changed significantly when I changed because it became something more than something I knew from books and it it became something that I had lived and bled through. And so you're absolutely right. It was, it was a complete, complete paradox, uh, what I was inside versus what I was doing on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. All right. So, um, you made it through two weeks. You've got your your friend involved now, and he's writing some meals meals for you. Is that what happened next? Yeah, yeah he gave me a, a dozen different meal ideas to give a try to, and I, I finally started to you know the weight started to come off. In three weeks, I lost twenty pounds. <clears throat> wow! And um, now, felt, now were you I a chef? Amazing. Were you a cook? Were you a chef? Did you make your own food? Like I'm sh- I'm sure if you were doing fast food all the time, you didn't spend much time in the kitchen. Yeah. How so you, at, you at this point I learned how, so I started, I bought a crock pot okay. and the crock pot became my best friend. Honestly, like the crock pot is the, the single man's best friend <laughs> on earth. You know, <laughs> it's like you come home and she's been working all day in the kitchen. She's got you a hot meal, just waiting. The house smells delicious. She doesn't care if you use paper plates. She doesn't care if you <laughs> or eat, eat right out of the, eat right out of the crock pot. <laughs> yeah, in fact, she prefer it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, the crockpot is the best, the best mate you'll ever find. And and so, I I, I definitely relied heavily on my crockpot, and I started looking for recipes. And I, I so again, I wasn't I wasn't a big cook, but I was I was good at figuring crap out. Like that's my yep. if I'm a if I'm a superhero, I'm I'm figure crap out man. Like that's my <laughs> big thing. Right. And so I got online. I started googling recipes, and this is how I end up coming across, uh, the paleo diet, which was the diet that I ended up adopting after my first, my first couple months, I came across, uh, and this is true story, uh, Sarah Fragoso's, uh, chili verde recipe Uh was the first one I came across and I tried it and I was like, Oh cool. This doesn't have any of the stuff that I decided not to eat. Right. No sugars, no grains. And my third week was no processed foods. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I can eat Sarah's food like she's got all kinds of recipes that seem to be good with my tennis balls. And so I started, you know, using her recipes a lot. And then I bought her book and I started reading about, you know, what paleo was all about. And, and I loved having a framework. You know, I liked having rules. I I knew myself well enough to know that I benefited under that kind of a structured system. Right. Um, and so having that in my corner gave me a framework with which to make decisions with. Because previously my decision was, uh, you know, if I were drawing out a flow chart, it's does this fit in my mouth? Yes, put it in your mouth. Right. Like that's the way that I decided what to eat. And, you know, now I had a, a little bit more complex decision-making process to go through that became second fiddle to me and became, you know, just complete habit. Did you ever go beyond the three tennis balls? Like were, or the, were those enough to give you, give you what you needed? Once I found paleo, I didn't, so I didn't do anything above the three tennis balls. I stuck with those three until I found paleo. And then I went, you know, 99.9% paleo from that day forward. And true story, Andy, like I have been sugar free, uh, and, and white flour free now for all of that time. That wow. was November, wow. 2010, yep. November, 2010, when I made, when I started writing those tennis balls out and I've never gone back, like not even a bite. Like if, if somebody's eating something near me. To this day, I, I still say no to those three things. I'm I'm hard fast on. Do you so. do you eat like whole grain? Um, like it's is, is it just white flour, or do you have? Are you completely off all flours, all cornmeal, all all that stuff? 
Yeah. So at this point, I think I could, I, I, I'm off everything, but at this point I could probably eat white flour easier than I could the whole grains. Yep. You know? Okay. Um, I, so I don't eat any whole grains. I'll, I'll tell you, like there have been a moment or two where I slipped up like a few years back. Um, I was on what was then a second date and the girl, it was St. Patrick's day and the girl ordered a pitcher of green beer and I didn't want to tell her that I was gluten free. Uh-huh. Um, on a second date because you know, she's going to, there won't be a third date. If you tell a woman you're gluten free on a second date, uh, <laughs> right, right. Nobody isn't wants it amazing, to hear that. Isn't wants it amazing the that. things we tell ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I had to drink the beer and so right. I drank the beer and I was, I was, I felt like I was having a head cold mixed with a tractor driving through my esophagus for wow. the next you know week. I just felt awful. And so I have a really good alarm system built in now to avoid those types of things. Right, right. So now, how did but, you stay? Um, how did you stay on track? You know, like because I this is this is a journey that you know. Look, I've watched. I was one of the very first watchers. I don't know if I was one of the first watchers, but I loved The Biggest Loser from the very first time yeah. that show was ever on. And you know, I watched the hell that those guys, those people went through in their weight loss journey. You know, much to the you know, positive or negative experience out of that whole thing and, 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 and long-term result, you know, notwithstanding it's, it's dramatic and it's difficult to stay on that track. I mean, I can't imagine trying to be on a journey like that on your own. How, how did you, how did you do that? So a couple things in that first few months that changed for me significantly. Once I, once I hit that three week, that 20 pound number, I had enough confidence to go public. And so I did decide to put myself out there and I published on Facebook my, my crazy goal. I said that by the time I was 35 years old, I wanted to run in a marathon. And at that time I'm 32 okay. and, uh, uh, 31, almost 32. So I had uh, three, three years and some change to get that marathon done. And, and at this so point, you I weighed 430 pounds, pounds. 420 yeah, pounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to run this marathon. And, and so th- at that moment, I, that looks crazy. Looking at yeah. me now, like, you think, yeah, that's whatever. You can run a marathon today. Right. So, yeah, back then it was nuts. And so I, I put it out there and um, everyone supported me so much to the point that, you know, because this is right before Thanksgiving. Yep. And I decide, okay, this year I'm bringing my lunchbox everywhere I go. And so I started packing my lunch and I would fill it with raw vegetables and raw veggies were my, were my weight loss savior. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds so fundamental and so obvious that are like, wow, that's not really a great tip. But for me, like crunching through the raw vegetables felt like chips, which was for me like a big thing that I missed. Yeah. And number two, you can only you can only eat so many raw vegetables before you want to vomit. Like you cannot <laughs> right, handle it right. anymore. And so right. I dare you to eat four pounds of celery. Like right. you will not have a good day. It will. <laughs> and I don't literally mean dare like that. Lawyers, But yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. It'll be bad. What, You're going to have a bad What time. were your go-to vegetables? Like, how, like what did you, uh, what'd you have? Celery and cucumber were go-to. And so it started off with carrots, but then I realized like I felt like I could overeat carrots if yep. I tried because yep. they're so sweet and, and delicious and wonderful. But like it's really hard. Like your teeth get tired, your mouth, your yeah. jaw, like everything gets tired of eating raw vegetables. So carrots or cucumbers and celery were really my go-to. And even today, like if I'm watching a movie and I want a snack, I will, I will grab a cucumber, I'll slice it up and I'll dip that thing in salsa like it's chips and oh, it's delicious and right. refreshing and, and it's wonderful. And, um, I don't, 
I don't feel like I'm missing out on yeah. anything when I'm eating raw vegetables wonderfully prepared. And and what a lot of people don't understand is that the 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 fake crap that that we love to eat that's so wonderful in our mouths, they like science is trying its hardest with those products to mimic the stuff that that mother nature makes on a daily basis. You know, like like Coca-Cola, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make that thing taste like vanilla and caramel and, you know, like flavors that are, are actually, quote unquote, natural in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to duplicate them cheaper because they can't afford to grow the crops that would, that, you know, and produce them in mass like they do. They need it to be made in a, in a factory. And so I just started learning to try the real foods and learning what things really tasted like. And it's been it's been incredible for me to find out. Like food is really good, like real food, like the stuff that like isn't made in a test tube is actually like delicious. I like learned to love Brussels sprouts. And, you know, if you think Brussels sprouts are are disgusting, you are you're eating the wrong person's Brussels sprouts. They're amazing. (laughs) Right. It Um, really depends on how you prepare them. When they're prepared right. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now what your grandma's boiling them and tell me about your kids at this point. Like you were so because this is a long journey and your kids are five and two. So your five year old is at least old enough to comprehend what you're doing um what absolutely what was that like with them and and um you know what was that piece yeah so with them it's it's still a constant piece and talking to them about health and wellness so my five-year-old like you said she was old enough to really witness and she remembers what what old dad used to look like Like she remembers that vividly and so she saw the transformation firsthand and one time I remember we're we're sitting on my couch and she points at a picture on the wall um, and says you know oh dad you look you look so different in those pictures and they were the pictures the engagement pictures that I had taken with her mom Mm -hmm. and so not only were they you know hundreds of pounds ago but they were also they were also like a lot younger, you know, I was yep. 10 years or so younger. And so I said, you know, like different in which way, like, cause I was, I genuinely wasn't sure if she meant the weight or the, uh, or how old I look now. Um, and she said, um, she said, you know, dad, you, you just, you're so much skinnier, you know, it's like in school, you know, it, when it, it's a metamorphosis. And I said, what does that mean? She said, well, it's when a caterpillar, caterpillar becomes a butterfly, dad, you, you went through like a metamorphosis. Wow. And I thought to myself, you are, you are six. You should not be saying that word. <laughs> and number, number two, like you can have any car you want the day you turn 16. <laughs> and number three, number three, she's right. You know, right. that's what it was like. They, they got to witness. And that, that really is how she saw it. She saw me going from caterpillar to butterfly. And so today they can sit in my lap without my belly getting in the way. They can hug me and they get to play with their dad. You know, we live – 10 minutes from Disneyland, um, which sounds wonderful, but after you go to Disneyland (laughs) 10 times, not as much. Right, right. And hearing the fireworks every night and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, I couldn't take them. I couldn't go with them. We couldn't enjoy that. Now, like. Yeah, because you're tired after 108 steps, right? I mean, you couldn't. Oh, gosh. Were there any rides you could go on? I mean, were were you just too big for the rides? Yeah, so they only like the little kids' rides. So I was still good. But yeah, there were, there were a lot of times when like, I would never even think about going on like space mountain, forget it. I wouldn't even try. Right. But now see, and now like I do things just because I can sometimes, you know, like, 
Like, I don't like roller coasters that much, but I couldn't do it before, so I'm dang well going to go now, you know? <laughs> That's right. so, Magic Mountain, here yeah. I come. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then I get on, I'm like, well, I was skinny enough to enjoy that, but it's still kind of dumb. Like, yeah. I, I still feel sick. Exactly, it's, right, so. right, right. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. uh, do the next <laughs> next nine or ten or twelve, however many exactly. they have at Magic Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, for sure. So you were you so, were saying about yeah. how you kept on track. So you filled a lunchbox full of vegetables. You yes. you made the crock pot your go to meal, right? That yep. was your kind of evening evening meal. Absolutely, and my and my next day's meal. So oftentimes right, when I made crock right. pot, you make lunch for the next day as well. And so I started packing that thing. I would actually in advance of holiday uh, meals or or any event, I would call ahead and I would say, look, you know, I'm really trying hard to lose weight this year. You know, you've you've probably seen me try this a hundred times, but this time I'm serious. And if you don't mind, I'd like to bring my own lunchbox. I won't be an intrusion. I love your food. I want to eat your stuffing more than you know. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, this year I can't. This year I've got to be good. And people were so supportive. Like wow. my family and friends were all like, you know, that's cool. Whatever you want to do, I totally get it. You know, and they cheered me on every step of the way. And five months right. into my journey, I started blogging about it. And so that was like the last habit that really helped me out. I started like posting every month an update. And so I remember yes. one of the times where weight loss actually kind of worked for me. When I was a kid, my dad went on Weight Watchers and he took me with him. And... Weight Watchers back then, I'm sure it's changed a little bit now, but they have those support group meetings where you go in. And, you know, I was I was junior high age. I think I was seventh grade at this time. And and they're talking about how they get in traffic and they just want to eat and and they're fighting with their spouse and they want to eat. And obviously these are not very relevant subjects to a 13 year old. But what I did find extremely relevant was the weigh in. And so every week before the meeting started, you would go into this private little room and they would weigh you and they would write on your card if you gained or lost. And for me, it was like it was like sports. It was like competing. It was like, oh, man, they're going to write down on this silly little card every day. If I did my job like or every week, I got to do well. Right. And so I managed the whole year, you know, like for 50 straight weeks, I lost weight every single week. Wow. Every week without fail. And then the one week that I gained by no fault of my own, right? Like that's one thing that I had to learn eventually as well um, is that the scale does funny things sometimes. Sure, and so yeah. the one week I gained, I, I fell off and I never went back. And But Weight Watchers was really successful for me because of the measuring once I learned how to temper that measurement effectively. And well, because so there's a psychology, we, there's a psychology yeah. of measuring that if you, you know, I mean, I always tell people, look, there's nothing wrong with a scale. The scale yep. is incredible. Is the scale is just a scale? It's just a number. It's what you do yep. with the number that is the real can can be can do the damage. You know, if you Absolutely. if you judge yourself and judge your progress and you know um, self beat, then you know the scale could be your worst enemy. No doubt, no doubt. I always tell people I have the nicest scale money can buy. Like I have one of those scales that connects to the internet, <clears throat> and yep. it like. It can tell my weight. It can tweet it. It can <laughs> it can figure all this stuff out. It can tell me what my body fat is. It actually tells me if it was real, like chicken in the Chinese food, or if it was cat. Like it knows everything. <laughs> it, it knows oh, it's everything. one of those scales. <laughs> exactly. And but but you know what? It doesn't. It still doesn't measure self worth. Like I have right. all the bells and all the whistles, but it still doesn't tell me if I'm a good person. And like people let the scale tell them that. Like they get. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that, there was that Facebook viral video a uh, few, like I think it was last year sometime where there was a woman and she's like smashing her scale with like a sledgehammer oh. and people are like, you go girl. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's just a scale. Like it didn't right. do anything. It, it measured your mass. Like it doesn't even measure body fat versus, versus muscle, which right. we all know, but it just told you what your mass is. Like right. you don't, why are you shattering this thing that right, has one right. job to do, you know? And, and, it, anyway, and it probably like, did I, it pretty well. It probably was accurate. Yeah. And that's what's terrible. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like a manager that tells you, like, don't tell me when I'm wrong. Just let me crash into the wall. And it's like, then they wonder why they crashed into the wall. It's like, Simon, it's like Simon Cowell on American Idol, you know, like he, you he tells you, he tells you how it is. Yep. Did anybody ever tell him you that you uh, really don't sing very well? <laughs> No, no one's yeah. ever told me that. Like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. And like, people need to hear that. Like, yeah. that is, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sometimes we need a reality check. And so I, I, I think that for me, that, that monthly, I had a monthly weigh-in on my blog. Like, every month I posted five-month update, six-month update, seven-month update. And then, you know, after a year, I started writing down like, okay, this is what I'm thinking and this is why this has been successful. And what it really became for me is it was a journal that was published on the internet. Yeah, and right, so, right. you know, I, I was journaling. I was becoming mindful of, of the things that were taking place in my mind and body. And along that path, I realized that there was a lot in my head that was really screwed up. Like, I, I, I don't think that anyone gets to be more than 100 pounds overweight without having something going on emotionally and mentally that is leading you to this place. You don't, you don't get that heavy because you ate too many Skittles. Like there's more going on there. And so for me, I realized at that moment that, you know, after journaling and after going through all these things, I need to get into counseling or this weight loss is not going to stick. I have to address the real issues that have taken place in my mind and in my heart, or this is never going to be a permanent change. Right. It's never going to be a permanent change. So I had to, I had to go through that for myself as well. And I started working through some of these, you know, some of my childhood issues and some of these, these self-esteem problems that I'd always had. And to this day, I always recommend to anyone needing to lose more than hundred pounds that that is one of the first things you should do is go get professional help to really understand what is taking place. Cause it's not about calories. It's not just about calories. Yeah. The physical reaction is, is really, uh, you know, it's obviously about what you're putting in your mouth and what's taking place in the absence of major genetic disorder. That is what's taking place. So you're overeating or under moving or both. Yeah. And, you know, but that's not why you're morbidly obese, right. you know, ultimately right. that's not, that's not going to cure it. That's just a symptom. It's amazing so. that you had the, um, self, I don't know, the internal guidance that, that, that pushed you or pulled you in that direction, you know, like that you didn't, um, you know, and you, and you listened, you know, you, you yeah. didn't, you didn't just have the idea or the intuition that, Hey, I should really talk to somebody about this and then ignore it. Like a lot of people probably would. Um, well, and to be fair, I did ignore it for many, like my parents, I saw my parents' divorce. I saw my divorce. Right. I saw the destruction of my family. I mean, it, it it took a train wreck to wake me up, but yeah, right. I did wake up eventually. And I, right. I think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that most of us need that kind of a wake up call. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely what I needed. I had to hit rock bottom with enough velocity to wake my dinosaur snoring <laughs> rear end up. Right. So I and had to get and, there. And at what point did you decide you needed to get counseling? Like how far into the journey, how many pounds had you already lost? And, and what was that part like? 
So I was, I was, I was after my one year anniversary uh-huh. and I had just started prior to my, my 5k. So I ran a 5k the next Thanksgiving. So I actually lost my first 200 pounds in one year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So one, one year and nine days to be technical. I, I always feel like I have to correct it, but 374 days, one year, nine days, I lose 200 pounds and I register in a 5k race. And at that moment I registered in the 5k and I, I got into counseling because I realized, you know, there's some things going on here that I really need to address. Yep. And those things happened together. And I started working on those Thanksgiving and six months later I run in my first triathlon. And at that point I'd really reached a place for the counseling where I wasn't going consistently anymore, but I, I adopted a bunch of new practices to help me really keep myself in check mentally and emotionally to how, keep this from ever becoming an issue. How did you find the right person to work with? How did, how did you know uh, where to go? Yeah, I got a recommendation from a friend that said, uh, she was really good. And I actually went, had gone to like two or three in the past. And so I was open to the recommendation and I really loved her. She was great. And, uh, she just, she takes care of me. And even now, like if I feel like I'm having a weird moment, a weird day, a weird week, I'll give her a call. And so we still get together, you know, three or four times a year uh-huh. and check in and do inventory. So, and does your, um, you know, after that, what, what were some of the adjustments you made in, during that year? Like, what was it like to suddenly find yourself in a body that may have, may feel like it's not even yours? Yeah, that was, that was a crazy thing. And so I like buying clothes when you're losing weight that rapidly and that much, um, that was, that was a problem. And so I would try to buy myself a couple outfits, you know, once a month or or so. Um, but there was, there was always these moments where I'm still feeling obese, like, you know, where I would be like trying to make my way through a crowd of people and I would feel extremely uncomfortable. Like I was bumping into everyone. Um, if there's somebody sitting behind me, like I would crouch down and I would, I definitely constantly had to get used to the new body. But I I would say that the biggest challenge for me mentally was how people treated me differently at my, you know, at my new weight and my new body, everything was different. Everything. And, At what point um, did that start to change? Like how, how much weight did you have to lose before it, you really started to notice a difference? I, I really noticed it um, after uh, I hit goal weight, probably for about six months after that, probably uh, 18 months into the journey. Like I, I remember one of the first moments was I was out I was out doing sales and I had to stop at a, at a office store to get something printed out on the road. And like, there were these two girls and they're talking behind the copy counter and I made it and they were talking about the crappy date they went on or something. And I said, don't worry, you're going to find the right guy. And she's like, well, what about you? Are you single? And, and I laughed like thinking she's joking, you know, because no <laughs> right, one, right. no one would talk to me like that. You right. know, I'm, I'm fat and, and yeah. that doesn't happen to guys like me. And so it was like this moment where I realized, oh yeah, like girls are like starting to be in, like, it's almost like a 13 year old. Like this is honestly the first time in my entire life that a random woman has ever expressed that she was attracted to me. First time. And I'm 33 years old, 32 years old at that moment. Like I couldn't even imagine it. Like it it was the weirdest thing on earth. Um, my sales doubled the next year, you know? And, and, I, I, I get asked all the time, is that because people treated you differently or because you were more confident? And the reality is probably both. Yeah, right. But I definitely noticed like people 
were more responsive to me in a sales environment. People like listened to me and, and wanted to hear more from me and, and were engaged more in what I was saying with a new body, same voice, same soul, same heart, same thoughts even. Yeah. And you know, well, they there's just something were more... that was incongruous before, you know, like sure. your message. I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about with your, your uh, motivational speaking with, you know, the Ogmandino stuff. Um, you can say it all you want. You can believe it with your heart and your soul. But when your body is screaming, I'm apathetic, I'm a loser. I, you know, I don't deserve, I'm not worthy of, you know, my own love for myself. There's a, you don't even have to say it. It's right there, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Hemingway actually had a theory on this, that if you left off a significant portion of the plot of your book, that the readers would be able to like know and just surmise the parts that you left out just by like osmosis, like a titanium iceberg type of thing where you, you know, you only see 20% of the real thing, but you can, you know, the whole thing is there and you're, you're absolutely right, Andy. I think that there's a lot of that taking place as well. Yeah. Wow. And so what, what is life like for you now? You know, like I know you've gone through quite a bit since the weight loss. You've been going through the skin, the skin. Like, I mean, that was always a question about, oh, I had another question too. Like, do you ever dream you're still fat? Do you ever wake up and think you're still, um, I've never had a fat dream. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, no, I I haven't. I, I I have it in my head all the time. Like I have enough of those moments in real life. It is, I I, I will tell you, I, I, it is a countless number of times when I have seen a guy waiting to use the squat rack and rushed through a set only to realize that that was actually me seeing myself in the mirror. Like that, that is a regular occurrence to this day. I don't recognize myself. I'll pass a mirror and I can't believe I'm like, Oh yeah, that's what I look like (laughs) in my head. I I still forget. And it's been been five years, right? It's been, it's been five years since I've been at my goal weight. And so like even now, and so yeah, I, I, I suffered through the loose skin in the beginning and that was a whole that's a constant struggle for, for people that lose a significant amount of weight, you know, dealing with the compression garments and having to hide it and being, you know, you, you lose all this weight and your, your loose skin is, is almost as hideous, if not worse than the obesity before. It's really interesting because that's one thing they never dealt with on the biggest loser. And it's always a question that I had and I never knew anyone that went through it before. So I didn't know who to ask, but you've been very transparent with your journey. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I always wondered about that. Does the skin rebound, but it doesn't. It, it, yeah. It, so it, I tried everything. And so I actually, I had been documenting my loose skin chronicles on my blog as well. And, and I, um, I had tried everything from coconut oils, you know, rubbing mm-hmm. coconut oils or cocoa butters on myself. And the only thing that that did was make me want to eat my own arm. Um, <laughs> right, you know, right. I didn't experience anything. Or make you feel I like sh- you're in the tropics, you know, sunbathing. Exactly. And yeah. I, I did a ton of research again. I'm, I'm a, I'm, you know, I research things out, man. Like that's my thing. And yep. so I, I found a bunch of like supplements and vitamins and uh, you, it, there is nothing on the market today that doesn't boast that it could work that I, I haven't tried short of the wraps. I didn't do the saran wrapping my, my belly thing, but I, I tried everything. And so I got called uh, last year with the opportunity to have my loose skin removed on national television on a TV show that TLC had put together mm-hmm. um, called Skin Tight. And so... Um, 
I didn't really know what it was at first. And so I like, they call me up and they say, Hey, we have a new show. And I said, cool. And I said, what's it about? And they, and they said, well, it's about weight loss. I said, Oh yeah, great. You know, I do a lot of that. And, and they're like, well, <laughs> you do us, a lot of that. You us. did a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, send me, send me some, they said, send me some naked pictures of you. Like we need to see what you look like now. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like we just met, you know, you yeah. send me some naked pictures already. And they say, yeah. And you know, we really want to see like, you know, you bending over. And I'm like, you wanted me to send you bent over and make it like, and it was a production company. It wasn't like a TLC.com. It was a production company.com. And I'm like, I've never even heard of you guys, you know, like they're like, just, it's, it's going to be worth it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I sent them a bunch of, you know, weird pictures. Non-flattering, probably the worst, worse than non-flattering, like the most unflattering pictures you could possibly send. Exactly. But you know, like when I look at them, so my, my fiance, um, who I met a couple of years ago. We can tell that story too. But um, my fiance is a photographer. And so she took the pictures. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, they look like, they look like some kind of foggy, weird, like I'm sure someone is into these kinds of pictures. Let me put it that way. Like I've got a big beard in these pictures because it was right during the NHL playoffs and I'm a big hockey fan. Okay. And so you're not allowed to shave your beard during the playoffs. So I've got this huge bare beard and I'm just sitting there in my underwear for all of man and God to see on these loose skin pictures. Um, and I have, I have released those to show before and after. And so they did, um, they didn't end up picking me up and, uh, letting me do it. And I was on the premiere episode of that show and, I went under for two different procedures. They did a full 360 lift, which imagine if your body is like an equator, they cut around the entire middle and remove the loose skin and lift it up. And they did that on my chest as well in the first operation. And then they came back a second time because they liked cutting me open so much. (laughs) And they came back for my arms, my legs, and then my upper back um, on a second one. And so... um, is it yeah, just it skin that they're normal. taking off? Is it fat? Is it uh, like the fatty tissue that's underneath the skin, the subcutaneous skin? What is the... So, yeah, it's just... Normally they do lipo. So when, when you go through this, if you were to paste, like if you were to hire your own person and they did it, it would it, you would definitely get lipo because why wouldn't you, right? Like yeah, I don't care right. who you are. You've got three pounds in there. Like, hey, zap that thing. Like sure. I've been working on those three pounds for a long time. And so, you know, um, they did not do any lipo. They would not. And I, I joked with them constantly. I said, hey, you know, while you're in there, get the vacuum. Yeah, right. You of know, course. They, they wouldn't do it. Only huh. skin. And so they wouldn't do it because why? Like it was part of the show uh, or because yeah. the doctor, it was against the doctor's philosophy or. I think what they were trying to do, and, and I, I don't know, this is pure conjecture, but I think they just wanted to show how dramatic the skin was. And they didn't want to say like, oh, you remove skin and you did lipo. Got like it. that's Got what it. really happened. So yep. um, on one hand, like there is kind of this little silly boy inside of me that's a little proud that I never had the lipo and sure. just did yeah. it. Yeah. But, yep. you know, and now looking back, if you could have gotten me a, a, like an inch closer to a six pack straight out of surgery, I would have been down for that. Right. Of course. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, it worked out. And so they, they removed all this skin and, and going through that was an incredible, like I, it's almost a whole new before and after wow. it, it's, it's huge. How like, many I don't pounds even, of skin did they re- remove? So in total, and, and the show says, uh, gives the number as like, I think it's 33, 36, wow. 38. Wow. And so, um, you know, that, that there's some, there's some math that takes place there with swelling and everything else. Yeah, right, so right. 
when, when all is said and done, I mean, I, I, I've ended up and I'm, I'm six, four and I'm, I'm hovering right around 193, 192 on a good day. Um, yeah, I wear size 32 inch jeans at this point that is where I was 58. Yeah. It's and, like, and what, uh, were you, what were you wearing in clothes when, before you had the skin stuff done? Were, were, did you notice so a, skin, a skin, a size change? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's clothes that were too tight to button are now too loose to wear. It is that significant of a, it's, it's major inches. So my jeans before the surgery in the same, like when I, I I actually wore one, I took one with me to the gym today by accident. I grabbed the wrong pair of jeans Uh and I had to keep my hands in my pockets to walk out of the gym. Like it was, (laughs) my belt was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It just couldn't work. It was so big. So I would say, I think I lost another like five inches off the waist in all, maybe six. It was huge. Wow. It was huge. And, um, yeah, I look like an entirely different person. Yeah. Um, the chest, the, the stomach, uh, it was, and I, I hesitate to talk about loose skin only because I don't want to ever discourage anyone from losing weight. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was on record, um, you know, years ago writing about my loose skin that if it never went away, this was still the best thing that I ever did for myself. And I would do it over again a million times. Losing the weight was the best thing I ever did for myself. And losing the skin was, was second to that a hundred percent. Um, I, I, I'm so glad I got the opportunity and it, it is a huge blessing that I had my skin removed, but it, it was not, it was not needed to make my weight loss journey complete. Right. It just made it a little bit better. Does the skin removal, uh, is that a costly surgery to have done if you had to do it on your own? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's extremely costly and um, it's very debilitating. The recovery is pretty gnarly, especially the abdominal-related surgeries because they typically have to tighten your ab muscles when they're in there. And that causes, especially for any woman that's given birth, what happens is the ab muscles become detached a little bit when you carry a significant amount of weight in the front. And so that causes huge amounts of pain post-op for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so that is, that's really gnarly. Ironically, the hardest part of recovery for me was having to go months without working out. You know, that's my new addiction is, you know, I love exercise. I love training and, and like I had to kind of like be at home and and like let people wait on me and I'm not good at that. I'm I'm just not very good at that. Yeah. So, that was pretty tough. So, what do you do now for exercise? Like what's what's your uh, go-to and uh, how do you do it? How do you approach it? So, up until recently, I I weightlift, you know, 4 days a week with a trainer who um does my programming for me mm-hmm. remotely. Um, I find I, I've never been very good at scheduled exercise because I like being able to just go when I want to go and knock it out. Yeah. I like I like being kind of like self-led. So I've never done well in team fitness environments, but right. I have I did practice like throughout my weight loss for what exercise I did Krav Maga and I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu when I got closer to my weight and I didn't feel bad about being on top of people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, right, I, right. I, I did those things uh, and I love them, but now it was, it's just my weight training that's provided by my person, uh, by my trainer until recently when I got injured. And so I'm going through an injury right now. I have a, I have a hernia that I have to have removed. Okay. And so I've got to adjust my workout a little bit at this point I'm swimming and I've gotten really into swimming in the last month since my hernia Yep. and 
I'm loving it until I get my surgery. I, I'm, I'm swimming at least one mile all seven days. Seven days a week I go and swim a mile, and it's where I come up with my best writing ideas and, and marketing ideas and strategies. I, I get so much strategy done in the pool. Wow. It's, it's one of the best mindfulness things I've ever found for me. How, lo- how long does it take you to swim a mile? Well, now a mile is, is 20 minutes, which is like, that's why I'm having to step it up a little bit. I'm not, I'm not the fastest swimmer. I'm learning how to do it. I actually suck at swimming. Like (laughs) I can feel my legs dragging. Yeah. And so again, I'm, I'm figure things out, man. So I, I just booked next week. I'm going down to one of those, uh, labs. Have you seen these where they've got the endless pool and they videotape you swimming and they have a real coach critique your form? And you know, you it's like funny. Go what, back. Yeah. One of my buddies, uh, I got into swimming, uh, three or four years ago. I was having shoulder issues. I was, I've been doing CrossFit for a long, long time and I was yeah. having these recurring shoulder issues. And I thought, you know, I wonder if rotational movement would be helpful for my shoulders. And I started swimming and I, I started off at the beach and, um, and then I got involved in a program called tower 26 and, this coach ran a program up in the Palisades and, and I would go three days a week up to the, this Palisades pool and do this master's program with him. And, um, the, the, the amount of learning that I went through the technique from, and, and then I also worked with an individual coach who taught a, a system called total immersion swimming, which is, yeah, uh, I, know total I, immersion. I don't know if you've Definitely. probably read the book, if you're a do it yourselfer. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, he he helped me with the total immersion stuff. He videotaped me, and um, so I yeah. So I know what you're talking about. It's um, the difference is so dramatic. You know, you think you're going through the pool very efficiently, and then you look at the videotape, and your legs look like anchors. They're like hanging yeah. below the water, and like you're pulling them along, and you're like, oh my god, how could I swim like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I can't wait to watch it. I know, I know, I'm doing things wrong, and I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You know, swimming is is absolutely one of the hardest things I've ever undertaken. You know, so much so that I don't do it anymore. Like I prefer yeah. to, I prefer to get my workouts. I, I do gymnastic workouts. I do, you know, I haven't I haven't really been weightlifting in a while. But um, you know, I, if I'm going to be in the water, I'd rather be on a surfboard or in a kayak or or on a boat. You know, absolutely. So, um, but um, yeah, that's awesome because I I think swimming is such a great way to can continue to be in, in great physical condition while, you know, going through something like an injury. Like it's, it's probably the best way to, to condition yourself when you're injured. Yeah. And I think that for, for people that were formerly obese too, there's great pleasure in like body weight exercising, like gymnastics as well, uh, swimming, because you feel like you have been beholden to your body for so many years Yeah, that with swimming and I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, yeah, but it's, it's fine. Okay. So like swimming, you can finally make your body, your bitch again. Like you're, right, you're doing right. same. I like, I'm actually right. like, I own my body. It's no longer like me just doing stuff because I'm tired. Yep. Um, it's me like actually controlling. I, I remember one of the most dramatic, um, demonstrations of the difference in the, the weight loss and the biggest loser for me was when they, you know, when they, they'd be near the end and somebody's lost 150 pounds or whatever the number is. And they would make them, put the suit on with that amount of weight yeah. and go through a course with that amount of weight on and how debilitating it was for all of them. Like they couldn't do yep. it. They couldn't, I mean, they did do it, but, um, but it was incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. th- those were some of the most dramatic, uh, events I thought in the way the biggest loser, uh, went about doing what they, what they did, you know, whether you like it or not. Um, it was, that was a pretty cool Absolutely. demonstration. 
Yeah, for me, I had a moment where I was finally able to squat that my weight plus the number on the barbell equaled what I weighed at my heaviest. And that was wow. a really emotional moment for me because like I've, I've lost those pounds, but I'm still stronger than them. Right. Like not only right. not only are they gone, but now I'm actually more powerful than those pounds that held me. And that was a very poetic moment for me. Yeah, um, I bet. You know, to experience. I mean, you having to cart that weight around all day, every day is just, yep. um, it's amazing that the body's capable of doing it, you know, that the body will adapt so that you're, that you're able to do that, you know, and then vice versa, that your body's able to adapt now back to the way it was, you know, before you were ever obese. Yeah, most definitely. Of course, for sure. Uh, you, you mentioned your fiance, how did, um, how did that come about? What, um, when did you meet her in this journey? Yeah, so I had been in my goal weight for several years. And so I experienced when when I was in my goal weight and, and I was single, um, it was like kind of this weird, holy crap moment. You know, like they let the kid in, out in the candy store and I was like, wow, like I can date and have fun. So, yeah. you know, I, I did my dating for a while. Like I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm older and, and nobody's impressed when a guy with two daughters is out playing the, the town floozy. So I wasn't like doing that, but, um, I was definitely, uh, dating a lot and kind of like learning what that was like and how to be in a successful relationship that wasn't, um, a cover up for insecurity. Sure. And so I had to learn how to date for a long time. And so, um, I met Heather a couple of years ago and, um, you know, we, we started off dating slowly and, and things progressed. And a few months ago, um, I asked her to be my wife and wow. she said yes. Congratulations. So, That's cool. Thanks. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's been, she's super, she's like normal. And so like a lot of people <laughs> I've actually done, <laughs> I've done two, um, I've done two appearances on um, Huffington Post TV show about post-obesity dating and what that's like, you know, because it's weird, you know, like having to say you're gluten-free on a second date type of experiences, right? And so... Now, was um, this before the skin part or after the skin part? So she was with me during the skin part. So this skin part just happened a year ago. Okay. So um, we've been dating for a few months, like consistently when the skin thing happened. Got it. Got it. Um, when the oh, that's right. You said she took, the, she took the pictures, right? That's right. Yeah, she took the pictures and then she came with me to have my surgeries done. So she's seen wow. me at my ugliest, yeah. which is yeah. one of the big, the, the real reason I proposed her. And, and I, I don't think I've ever told anyone this story. But what happened is, is um, they released on Skin Tight's website a bunch of images that they did not show in the show. And one of them is Heather sitting at my bedside after the surgery and she's looking at me like she's just head over heels in love with me. And I look like I have been hit with a truck and then like they backed up and did it again. Like wow. it was, I look awful. I mean, there are bruises in places where there should never be bruises and yeah. bleeding. And I, I, you literally have tubes coming out of you like, a, like in the matrix yep. Um, yep. after the surgeries to drain the pus and fluid that wow. you've just gained. It's, it's not, it's not fun. And so she's looking at me like I'm, like I'm Brad Pitt. (laughs) Uh, Right. When I look closer to, to pizza, the hut from Spaceballs, that might be too obscure a reference, but she, she like loved me. And that was the moment I actually, it was 11 o'clock at night. She was asleep next to me as I'm looking through these images. And I literally went online and ordered the ring at like that moment from my phone. Wow. 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 
that's cool. Skin tight. I was. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. So, yeah, I figure well, she can love me through that. She can love me through anything. You know, I, I there's definitely way more we could talk about. I'm looking at the clock and and uh, knowing that we 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 both have kind of hard stop times. Um, I I just yes. appreciate you. I mean, first of all, being on the podcast, but more importantly, you sharing these, you know, these, these amazing things that you've gone through in your life and being the inspiration that other people can draw on your courage and your, your willingness to, you know, battle through your own demons and then, then show it, you know, not an, in, you know, just share your story. Like it's just a way yeah. other, others can hopefully learn and be inspired and, and, you know, keep going when, when they might have doubt or, um, you know, in, 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 in coming across a rough patch or, you know, it's just, it's just really awesome. And I really, really appreciate that in how you are, you know, showing up in the world. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it, it, it's a message and it is a thing that is just too meaningful for me to, to never, to stop talking about. I love, I love what I do and I love being able to be there for other people who want to go through their journeys as well. And, and I think that I'm evidence that literally anyone can do it. There's absolutely nothing like that makes me special or unique or strong. I'm, I'm really good at internet research. I literally said that was my superpower. Like that is the coolest <laughs> thing about me is I'm at Googling stuff. Like you can do this and, yeah. and it, it's so, it's so important. And you know, Tim, I just had a thought, I, I just had a thought. I'd love you to, if we consider this, you know, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot yeah. and tell, make you do it, but you know, we have official teams in the whole life challenge. And, um, I just had this thought, what if you were the captain of a team of people of, you know, obese people that were, that wanted to, wanted to participate in the whole life challenge. And you were the, you were the team captain for those people. I don't know if you'd be willing to do that. You don't have to answer now, but, um, certainly would be, would be cool. No, I would, I, you know, honestly, I would totally love to be a part of that. And I would love to, I, I love your whole life challenge. I love seeing the weekly challenges that come out. And I think that I would have a lot to offer on that front. I'd, I'd love to talk more about that for sure. Well, let's talk about that. Cause uh, that would be really, really cool. You, you relate to, I'm not, I, you know, it's not that I couldn't do it or someone else couldn't do it, but there's just a level of relatedness that you have because of your journey and what you've gone through that I couldn't possibly, Absolutely. you know, I couldn't possibly relate in that same way. So, yeah, um, it's the reason why Alcoholics Anonymous use sponsors and everybody yeah. else. You want somebody that's been there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right, yeah. well, great. Thanks. Oh, and how do people find you? Where are you, where is you, where, where are you accessible online? So my website is tinyertim.com, and, and I'm also tinyertim pretty much anywhere where people are being social. So Instagram, uh, you can find my Facebook page under tinyertim, Twitter, everything. But I would say Instagram and my website are probably the places where I'm most active. Okay. I'll post you know transformation messages and, and little things, and I do a lot of free blogging and, and that type of stuff uh, at my website. Very cool. All right, well, thanks again, and um, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. Thanks sure. for having me. Thanks. Oh, yeah. The Whole Life Challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team, Ernie Hurtado, Becca Borowski, and Cameron Banfield. You can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode, plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if you like it, please remember to give us a favorable rating in iTunes and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>